what does it take to be an executive? Experience, maybe some certifications or degrees, an ability to make tough decisions? How about a more difficult question? What type of executive would you follow willingly? Ooh, now that changes things for some of us, doesn't it? Most of us have not experienced what we hope for in our supervisors. What we want is someone whose leadership we trust as the head of our department. An executive who has our best interests in mind, who will do the work alongside of us, who inspires us by their demonstrated attributes of loyalty, consistency, diligence, curiosity, and hard work. Now, if you have had the fortune of reporting to someone like that, learn their story. You may be surprised to find how unlikely the path to their current role actually was. Welcome to the Impact of Leadership podcast, where we believe that no one drifts into excellence. I'm your host, Steve Shear, and today's episode is a story of an executive you'd love to follow. Kyle Jolly is my guest today. More important than that, he's a father and one of the very best friends you could hope for. He's Doc Holliday from the movie Tombstone, and if you're not familiar, do a Google search and then watch that movie. He is that guy. He's the guy that will stand in the rain until midnight to make sure your car starts. And he's also the vice president of operations at CCB Technology. This man has been tested and proven worthy of the role that he's in. But the route to get him to his fancy pants title was winding, had bumps and a ton of uncertainty. There were also a few constants. It feels great to be his hype man for once. Let's jump to Kyle talking about the different roles that he's held with CCB. So I started at CCB just in an entry-level sales position um, and had some sales experience prior to that, but never in the technology world. Um, and the man who told me about the job, who is our current president, Logan John McCoy, uh, when I said, hey, I don't, I don't really have experience with technology stuff, I mean, I consider myself a savvy user, but I don't, I don't know technology. His response was, do you know how to use Google? And I said, <laughs> I do. And he goes, yeah, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Um, so came in uh, just, an, an, again, entry-level sales position, uh, started figuring the stuff out, actually started, I think I was the last employee that was hired for uh, quite a while because the recession had just started. If it would have been a month later or two months later, I don't know that that there would have been a position necessarily. And it wasn't that there wasn't a need for it. It was just everything got crazy with the recession. So came in, started doing the thing, um, but it was it was challenging because people were holding on to their money because there was a recession. So yeah. it was like, so hitting a sales number, Yep. when people don't want to spend money, mm -hmm. it's challenging. Um, but we figured it out. You know, we figured it out and obviously it worked out well. Um, I still, I'm still here. I still collect paycheck, so it's not like there isn't a path through those things. But that, that's how it started, and it was, it was clunky in the beginning just because of, of all those things. But then through that, moving into different positions from national account manager to director of sales. How long were you national account manager? Um, I believe Ish. it was four years, maybe okay. three, four years, something like yeah. that, give or take. I, Probably should have looked at that before, but um, <laughs> everything's been 15 years. There's a lot uh, going yeah, on. Yeah, right, right. Uh, so did that for a while, and then jumped into director of sales. Okay. We managed um, half-ish of the sales team, 
and did that for, gosh, six or seven years probably with some, some change then over to the operations focus. Always kind of been the part, whenever we were going to do something in the department that was operations focused or process oriented or whatever, I kind of stood out as the, hey, can you test this out with us? Or can you try this out? Uh, let us know what you think of it. But that's that's always kind of been a bend of mine, but then it turned into more of the focus, right? And then director of sales transitioned to director of sales operations and did that for about a year, I think, um, uh, maybe a little, little more than a year. And then ultimately director of operations, mm-hmm. which was, I think, just over a year, I believe, okay. uh, timeframe-wise. And then it went from that to vice president of operations. How many of those positions didn't exist before you <laughs> entered them? So director of sales, there were directors in the sales department prior to the director of sales position. Yep. But there there was, a, from what I recall, there was always a specific focus, like director of nonprofit, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like there, there was always kind of a focus area of that. So I think the title director of sales without the extra stuff mm-hmm. after it, I, if I wasn't the first one, I couldn't tell you who was, but yeah. it was a new concept for sure. Whether or not somebody had a, a title like that, there wasn't this thing where the vice president who oversaw the department had somebody who was focused on managing people on the team. It, it might've just been concepts or yeah. things within the team. So that uh, director of sales operations was the only one we've had, I believe, right? I don't think yeah, we had that, that position prior. I don't remember anything before that. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think we've had anything with the, the word operations no. in it prior to that. Definitely director of operations was a new thing and vi- uh, vice president of operations, we've never had. So the majority of, of your positions, because uh, as you were talking, I'm thinking, wait a second, this guy's path was like laid brick by brick in front of him and if anybody else comes behind him, that's been done because of him. And I didn't have that in notes. I didn't think through that. So yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. I, so the company was growing in ways that uh, weren't anticipated w- alongside you uh, while they're creating the position. So you've had all of these different roles. But before we get too far, yeah. bounce back to that interview yes. process. So, so, so it's good for everybody to know this for multiple reasons. One is to laugh. And to be like, what, that happened? But also, uh, you hear vice president of operations, and you're like, oh, fancy pants. So tell us uh, the story. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> if, I, if I recall the day properly, it was an exhausting day because it was, I think I was here for probably two or three hours, maybe a little bit longer. Um, and, and all the conversations were great. Met with several people just had conversation. They were asking me about myself and what I enjoyed. And I appreciated the format of the interview process for sure, because it was, you're just having a conversation with people. It's not this, you know, I didn't feel stressed to be a certain thing. I could just communicate what I was, who I am. But it actually started with Patrick Booth greeting me in the lobby. And I believe complimenting me on my mint green shirt and matching tie, which is interesting because apparently I was trying to make an impression. But we we quickly went to his office, and the first thing I said when I got into his office, as I noticed his Chicago Bears mouse pad sitting next to his computer was, wait, you're you're a Bears fan? And he said, yeah. And I said, oh, okay, as I'm loosening my tie, I say, oh, I got this, we're, we're good then. We'll knock it out of the park. He laughed, and then I transitioned and met with other people, and the entire time felt very confident 
that I was the person that they were looking to bring, at least in the capacity that we were having those conversations. Yeah, it was going well. I, it felt great. Yeah. I, wonderful. Last part of the interview was, was meeting with Chris Booth. Colonel. The, the colonel, the big dog. And given the way that all the other stuff went, I wasn't necessarily anxious about it. I, I thought, I, I've got this, man. I've got, this is knocked out of the park. It's great. Had you met him before? Uh, no. Okay. No, this is right. the, the, the first interaction. So we get up to the uh, upstairs conference room, and it's me, Patrick, and Chris. And right away, Chris kind of sets into the um, figuring. He was going to figure out what I was all about. I also had these glasses on that were, uh, they were not necessarily my choice. I got talked into these glasses by the the people who work at the eye doctor. Hey, you should try these. They were these thick plastic frame, like Armani exchange, black and white. Like they made a statement. I wasn't, I'm not the kind of person that's trying to make a statement necessarily with what I'm wearing or how I'm looking or anything like that, says the guy who wore the mint green shirt. Um, <laughs> but in all, in all reality, what I think what Chris wanted to know as he asked the question multiple times, why did you pick those glasses? I, I think what he was looking for was he wanted, he wanted to bring somebody in in sales that had picked those glasses so that people would ask him why he picked them and it would be a conversation starter. The reality is that's not why I picked the glasses. But he was all over it. He just wanted me to tell him why I picked him, and I kept giving him an answer that I don't, I don't think he was content yeah. with. So he kept going, and it, it wasn't. Um, I think he was trying to see what I was made of, yeah. right? In all of it. it, it was looking back on it. We laugh about it now. It, it was great. There, there was a point in the conversation where he was fire, rapid firing questions at me, and Patrick was like, "Chris, let him an- let him answer the questions," and in in a very uh, father-son type moment, Chris looks over the top of his glasses at Patrick and says, this is my interview. And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh man, I thought I had this job for sure. I, there's no chance now. So uh, all of that stuff to say that, why did you pick those glasses? Why did you pick those? That's how I would sum all of that stuff up on the, on the comedic side of it. Yeah. But in all reality, there were a couple of significant things that happened in that, that really started to form how I perceived what I was going to do. I I thought I was just coming in for an entry-level sales position, right? Mm -hmm. But the man who's asking me multiple times, why did you pick those glasses and won't let it go, love you, Chris, um, also said, I fired multiple questions at you, and most people panic and regurgitate the same responses to those questions. You didn't do that. You gave me specific answers to my specific questions. And then he looks at Patrick and said, this guy's got management written all over him. And then said to me, but you've been jumping around a little bit lately. So I don't know if you'll stay here for long. How long are you looking to stay? I said, I'm looking to find a place where I can retire and make a career out of it. I don't want to go around to different places. And his response to that was, I'll give you two years. You'll be gone in two years, I bet. <laughs> and I said, hopefully not. So, uh, Fast forward to my 10-year anniversary at CCB, I walked up to Chris and said, do you remember what you told me in the interview that I wouldn't be here, I wouldn't last past two years because I'd just jumped somewhere else? He goes, did I say that? And I said, yeah, you said that for sure. I said, well, today's 10 years. And he uh, 
gave me a hug and said, I'm really glad you decided to, to be here and stay here. And we love having you here. So it was fun. Uh, definitely. I appreciated that Chris wanted to figure out what I was made of because in all reality, uh, it was nerve wracking as heck, but, but that's how interviews are, right? Yeah. In all reality, had that not happened in there, I don't know that I would have checked the boxes for him mm-hmm. that, that he needed to see in that process. And, and the reality of it is the relationship that I have with Chris now is, is phenomenal, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's great. And, uh, and I respect him for how he approaches those things. And he's old school. And he so is. He, yeah. yeah. So he wants to smack you in the nose and see if he'll which is, you know, wipe the blood off and right. punch him back sometimes. Right. Which is what which is what we all love about him. One yeah. of the things we love about yeah. him, right? Um, and respect it. So yeah. it's good. It, it it was fun and I'm sure I'm missing some details, but the the reality of it is I was very encouraged. And I, I said to him and when he had told me, You have management written all over you, I said to him that that's one of the best compliments, one of the nicest things I've had anybody say to me. Yeah. So it was good. It ended in a handshake and he smiled. And I thought, I still thought there's no way yeah. I've got this job. Like I thought I had it. No, no chance. And I think I got a call like an hour later or something good. I had to say. Nonprofit leaders in Southeastern Wisconsin, this commercial is for you. Our friends at the University of Wisconsin Parkside are hosting an event on October 27th that's focused on becoming an inclusive workplace. Deanna Singh, author of Actions Speak Louder, will be facilitating the conversation and giving practical recommended steps that you can implement when you get back to your place of work. Now, this session counts for continuing education credits for those of you that are concerned about that. For more information on this event, click the link in the show notes. Now, back to my guy, Kyle. Before I started, actually, there was a situation um, where you weren't hitting numbers yeah, um, or something like that. Yep. And I don't know all the details. I don't remember. And it seems like it got pretty real with Patrick because oh, yeah. he was managing you directly, yep. right? Yep. Okay. Um, so you know what I'm talking about. If you don't mind, walk us through the conversation with Patrick when you were struggling as a rep to, to hit numbers because I think that also yeah. kind of speaks to your trajectory. Yeah. So back to the concept of what was going on in the economy and all that, not, uh, not to point to it and say, I wasn't hitting numbers because of the economy. It's just the reality of what what the world was that we were living in at that time. I wasn't. Uh, I was focused on smaller accounts that we were trying to make sure somebody was paying attention to them. Because in all reality, not every organization that we work with just has all this money to spend, and they don't have you know hundreds of employees. There are other there are other customers that we care about mm-hmm. that might need a little bit more attention on certain things, or they might need. They have different types of questions and stuff like that. So I wasn't really focused on the larger organizations, you know, employee-wise that we work with. I was trying to build a relationship with some of the smaller organizations and things like that. So what it ended up being was I had a I had a target that I needed to hit every month and I wasn't hitting it. Um, I was falling short in hitting those metrics that I needed to hit. And and that became a performance issue, right? I mean, we're, we all have things that we need to do. Uh, some of those things are quantified by numbers. Some of, those th- some of those things are quantified by other measurables and whatever, but I wasn't hitting those things. So Patrick had uh, a conversation with me and essentially said, there's a period of time here where you need to hit a certain number or you're not going to stay employed here, mm-hmm. right? To which I said to him, I, I get it. It makes sense. Like if I'm not performing, 
uh, to the job functions or responsibilities or metrics that you need me to hit, then then I shouldn't be here. That's a there's two ways to respond to that, and both of those responses happen internally, but externally it's like it's logical. If I'm not hit my numbers, then why why would you keep me? So Patrick uh, Patrick and I have gone. We've had some fun conversations over the years about this because I think he and I have differing recollections of how this story played out, but his, his way is probably the truth. But <laughs> anyways, uh, he said to me, so here's the number, here's the time frame. Do you think you can hit it? And I said, I don't think I can hit it. And I think that caught him off guard because I think, I think what he wanted to hear from me was, yeah, I can hit that. The next statement on my mouth was, but I'm going to try. I'm going to give it everything I've got. I just don't know if it's attainable or not. And it's important to point to that because Patrick's response to that, his exact words to me were, well, then I'm going to throw everything I have at you because there's no way I'm letting you walk out the door without giving you the best chance to succeed. He will tell you that I, I just, you know, gutted it out and went and did it and got the thing. But in all reality, he was the leader that I had to look to in those moments when I had questions, when I needed stuff, and he threw everything he had at me, every opportunity that that I could have to help get that number, he threw it at me. He had my back. I mean, that, that's what it comes down to. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was an interesting time, but it was never it never equaled frustration for me because the way that Patrick approached it was it was very simple. Like, we like you, man. We like who you are and what you bring to the team. We also need you to perform, and if you can't perform. You can't be part of the team um, because of the way that he led that whole dynamic. It it made it feel like yes, you're right. If I'm not hitting it, I can't be here. So then let's go hit it, right? Again, he'll tell you, I hit it, we hit it. He's he's ultimately responsible for my success or failure in that right. moment. So, and it's probably that? wise to say that he's telling the truth since he still owns the company. That's right. I Even mean, if he's not telling the truth, listen. Not. If he says something different than I do in this, go with what he said. Uh, because because he owns a company. Yeah, checks against the cash. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, I don't know if I do, but he does for sure. <laughs> so all right, let's get let's get. Uh, not that we haven't been real uh, already. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to allude to that, but I, I want to get kind of really real. There's been some pretty big bumps along the way uh, while at CCB, both both uh, personally and professionally that you've had. You just talked about one of the early on bumps with, uh, hey, if you can't hit these numbers, you might not be part of the team. Uh, what can you share about those the other scenarios that you've encountered uh, since you've been here, and and what was it like with the company? What was the company's response? How, how did you get through those yeah. things? Yeah, Patrick and I have have had conversations. We've all had conversations about. Um, it almost feels like you wish that there were two cups, right? There's the the work cup and the home cup, and each cup has capacity and whatever the stress is and whatever the responsibilities at work are in a separate cup from the home cup, you know, analogy wise. And then there's the home stuff and and those things really have 200% capacity because you got two cups. But in all reality, there's, there's one cup, right? My point in saying that is life happens even when you're just because you leave the house and go to the office doesn't mean that life doesn't still happen. So things happen. A couple of the significant things that happened while I was you know, while working here at CCB, became a dad, right? Two beautiful daughters. There's, listen, I thought I knew everything until they showed up. Most confident I'd ever been in my entire life, you know, the glasses, the green shirt, the whatever. (laughs) Uh, And then my daughters come along and 
I don't know anything. I have, I have no idea what's going on, but I'm going to figure it out because they, they deserve that and, and they're a gift. So navigating, there, there were areas that I had to grow up really quickly just because I wasn't just responsible for me anymore. That, that's a significant thing because it's scary and it also requires a certain focus in life. Um, so I've, for years now, I've struggled with sleep. Like I, I don't sleep well. When it was just me, it was easy to just take the time that I needed and try to make up for sleep or whatever it looks like or take PTO. I'm, I'm not feeling good, that kind of a thing. That all changed when, when they came along because I've got to provide for them now and I've got to be there for them and set a good example for them. So that's one of the things that I wouldn't classify that as a bump, but it's a, no, it's a good. significant portion that's of good. I'm glad you pointed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with that on the personal side, one of the more significant things that, that happened in my time here was my daughter's mother actually was diagnosed with breast cancer. So that conversation, the, the challenging thing for me and all of that was how do I protect the girls from this, but not pretend like it's not a thing, yeah. right? Because they're young at this, I mean, you know, four and six or something like that. And it's their mom. So these are examples to me of how do I navigate them through this? And I'm talking the conversation. Like I remember having conversation with somebody who used to work at CCB and left CCB to go be, uh, to go start a church. Mm -hmm. And I remember calling him and asking him, hey, how do I navigate this? Mm -hmm. And tell me the stuff that I don't want to hear. And the thing that he said that stood out to me was, you can instill confidence in them and hope in them, but don't make promises, mm -hmm. which is good because I don't know how anybody else deals with that stuff, but I can tell you for sure what I wanted to tell my daughters is I wanted to promise them it was going to be okay mm -hmm. because I want it to be okay for them, right? I don't want them to have to deal with that, but you can't just flippantly say things that you don't have control over. So during that period of time, the focus for me was on making sure that they were good and communicating what they needed to know and not over communicating certain things that would just create fear and whatever. But then there's this other, there's this other side of it where I remember somebody buying shirts for them that said they had a little pink ribbons on them and said, I wear pink for my mom. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a, it's a cute gesture. I don't even know what word to use there. Like, yeah, you're showing support for your mom. That's, that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But my brain went to do, have I, have I set them up to understand what that means so that when somebody looks at them and says, oh my gosh, your mom has cancer, they're not taken aback by that, right? Mm -hmm. I can control what happens when they're in the four walls of the house or they're in the vehicle with me. If we're out in public together and somebody says something, I can jump in. But what about when they're at school? Like, so it, it's, it's helping them navigate through that concept and ultimately, what does that mean for the rest of their life? How does this affect the rest of their life? It, it was interesting to say, to say the very least, but what was required in it was patience and love and clear communication to them and also not 
over-promising something Mm -hmm. because it goes without saying what the end result of that could have been. Um, Their mother is is fine. She's she's recovered from from all that stuff, um, you know, to the degree that that you can with those things. But the story has ended well with that for the girls. Mm But at the time that you're going through it, you don't know how it's going to go. Right. You know, when, when people hear the word cancer, it does a certain thing inside of all of us, right? Like there's, there are assumptions that are made with those things. The most important thing was making sure that the girls were yeah. good with it and being there for them as they were wanted to be there for their mom and they wanted to, to not have to worry about those things. What role were you in at CCB when this stuff was happening? Uh, that was director of sales. Okay. Yep. Yeah, so... So you, so you had a... That was a load. Yeah, a yeah. There was yes, yeah, big uh, managing a team, all those kinds of things, and then the stuff outside of work. Again, there's the analogy of the two cups, right? Right. Um, but there isn't. There's not. There's one cup. Yeah. There's there's one cup, and and most of us probably wake up in the morning and it's already like seventy percent full, right? Um, so you got thirty. <laughs> Depending on how you sleep, so yours is right. probably thirty yeah, percent. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe my well, maybe mine's seventy, and everybody else's whatever. <laughs> um, so the the important thing in all that stuff is that the focus for me at that time had to be on them. It had to be on the girls, making sure that my daughters were good and they had what they needed. CCB's response to that was phenomenal. I was allowed to take the time that I needed to take to make sure that my daughters were okay, that my family was okay. And and that's significant because if if the response is the other way, if things start to become punitive, for lack of a better phrasing, because of a divide of attention, it can affect more than just your job and your home life. It can affect how you provide. It can affect the amount of stress that's associated with those types of things. So knowing that the people that I worked alongside of and ran alongside of at CCB cared for me in the way that they did made it easier for me to then care for the people that I was responsible for, Mm -hmm. these beautiful daughters of mine that needed their dad. Mm -hmm. Without an opportunity to work for a company like CCB and have the response that I did, there's no way I have, there's there's no way there, the 30% that's left in the cup that we were talking about a second ago had to go to them. And CCB allowed for that to happen, which um, I was already committed to CCB anyways, but it's stuff like that that's like, this is these are the reasons why I work where I work. And I and I I care about what we do as an organization and and where we're going. Yeah. Um so significant stuff, um, but it could have been much worse if the stress level here was higher. Yeah. And CCB managed it and navigated it brilliantly, which I'm super grateful for. Yeah, that's I haven't thought about that in a while. Yeah. Um, hearing you say that, it, it does reinvigorate why we work here. Because yeah. um, if it wasn't with the people that were, you know, I think you've said, let's just go sell donuts. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's right. computers or donuts. As long as I'm working with these people, I'm, I'm good to go. I'm good. Yep. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. So let's, uh, let, let, let's zoom in. Uh, to the move to VP. Yeah. I don't know. We just took a hard left turn from family depth yeah. to, to the VP thing. Uh, but you go from director of sales, director of sales operations, director of operations, then to VP. Yep. So how did the VP role 
come to be? Like, I know that there was, there had to have been a need. I mean, I know because I was here, but there had to have been a need, which denotes the position. But what was leading up to it? And like, how did it ultimately happen? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I, during some of the the director of sales and then director of sales operations period of time, um, there was some changeover in sales leadership. Mm-hmm. And this guy named Steve Shear, uh, or or Stan Schroeder, yeah. you know, sure, there's all Sloyd, yeah. all kinds of other names that we've you got there. Can't give away all of my yeah, yeah. Sorry, uh, pseudo- sorry. Well, we can add, you just edit that out. Yeah, yeah. Take that out, Nico. Yeah. Um, so when when you became the man over sales, the person who was responsible, ultimately responsible for sales, you then became my boss, which was, uh, I believe we had some some pretty fun interactions about that. Yeah. Uh, there was no bigger fan in the company of you becoming vice president of sales than me. Yeah. Um, but I, I believe after Patrick told me, I think I went over to, because I, how long were you here when, when you became VP? Uh, six years, I think. And at that six years, and at that point, so then I would have been here like nine ten, or nine or ten, more, or something like that. Many more years. Actually, it was nine because I remember the words that came out of my mouth. So Patrick tells me, "Steve's your boss now." Cool. I figured it was going that direction. I'm excited about it. When Patrick asked me my opinion of what he should do with vice president of sales, I said, "I know you're going to look internally for something like this. I would love to be your guy, but I don't think I'm there yet." Steve, however, Steve's your guy. So. Communicating all that stuff, there was zero chance that I could have Patrick tell me that you're going to be my boss now and not pull a Steve Shear and come up to you and say, this is crap. I've been here for nine <laughs> years and you got I VP of sales. And, so- and of course you lost it. I lost it. It was, it, it was a fun moment. That's, yeah. you know, that's, that's part of the dynamic of, of why we work together great and all those things. So operations thing. Yeah. Um, I remember you and I having conversations really throughout all of it. But what became very evident was what my gifting was and what your gifting was. Yeah, true. Um, I can yeah. do the sales thing yeah. and, and you can do the stuff, the, the operation process stuff. We can both do those things because we have drive and motivation to do those things. But really, when you, when you talk about that concept of right people in the right seats, yeah. what are the areas that I can run alongside of you, Steve, and help serve the team in a different capacity? Again, I've always been bent toward, uh, there's always been a bend towards operation process type stuff. Uh, so I naturally started to migrate towards that stuff. One of the other things that, that was happening in the midst of all this is the desire to continue to advance my career and grow in, in all of the necessary ways of doing that. One of the things that, that has happened inside of me is the desire to set an example for my daughters of what hard work is supposed to look like. I don't have a college degree. Th- that's by choice, by the way. Uh, not Some of it's circumstance stuff, but, but it was choice. Like I could at any point go back and do it. But I also want to look at my daughters when they get to the point of life where they decide if they're going to go to college or not. And if one of them or both of them says to me, I don't want to go to college, my response is, Okay, I got your back and I love you. I just want you to know there's no excuse though. There's no excuse to not do the right thing and succeed just because you don't have a college degree. And I'm proof of it, right? I don't have a college degree and I'm an executive at a company. Um, 
that matters to me. I did early on, if you would have asked me, do titles matter to you and all that kind of stuff? I, I would have said no. But what goes into earning the title matters. So I guess the title matters too then. And it's important to me that I'm putting my best foot forward and that I'm representing the people that are responsible for me and the people in my life well. So you and I started having conversations about these kinds of things. And I said to you, I want to move up and I want to make a different kind of impact. But I need you to help me with that because obviously I haven't been able to get there yet. And that's okay. I'm not scared of hard work. I'm not afraid to make adjustments. And you started to started to think through these concepts of how we start to separate this out into its own thing, right? Lots of talk, lots of things go, go into all that. But that's essentially how the director of sales operations type thing and the path towards operations happen. Um, I had a lot of growing up to do, a lot of growing up to do because of this thing inside of me that desires justice and doesn't like injustice. Um, so when things happen that don't seem like they're supposed to happen, uh, people have responses. And for me, oftentimes those things would get the best of me. And when, and when those things happen and those become the storyline, like everybody, you know, if injustice happens and you're standing in a, a room full of people, most people know injustice happened. Like they don't need me to remind them right. this isn't right. You know, that, that doesn't help anything. So growing up in those things and, and changing in those things is significant and important, but without someone who can navigate me through those things and challenge me in those things, I'm left to do those things by myself. Um, and I remember conversations between you and I where, uh, what what used to be like a trigger concept for me is just get over it, you know, just move on. You would deal with me in those moments and not say, just get over it. Instead, you would walk away from it. You would think about the other side of it and then you'd come back and propose things to me. What if this? So you feel this way about that thing, but what if this is a significant part of that? What that did for me is it opened my eyes up to understanding the total picture of what was going on and not just my perspective on it and not just staying tied to that. So operations becomes a thing at some point, but but the character of the people that are in the positions matter. If you don't have the character and you can't do those things and you can't respond the right way, then, then you're not going to get those positions. So functionally, could I do it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there I'm sure there are more... I'm certain there are more talented people out there than me, which, which is great. So doing the thing is fine, but the character matters as well. So the thing that needed to happen for me was the character development piece of all of it. Um, and, and those things happen. And then really from there, it just started to kind of happen, right? Because I can speak to what the vision is of operations and how to do the things and what we need to do. So once I could shore up the other things that I needed to work on, the, the Kyle stuff, then we can focus on those other type things. So there's lots of things that happen in the midst of all of it, but really it was, it was, it's like a tale of two stories. It's the guy who can do the thing, but then the guy, and he needs to develop in, in those things because we know we can do this thing, but what about the rest of it? And that's, that's really, at least that's my recollection of how it went. And those are the things that stand out to me in the process of it. That's good, man. Um, during this whole process that you've gone through, your trajectory, the 15 years, the motivating factors of your daughters, and, and uh, what what are some top lessons that that you've learned as you've gone from rep to VP? Yeah, that 
people make mistakes and that success is a terrible teacher, which implies that failure is a great teacher. So the question is not, are you going to make mistakes? Do you make mistakes? The answer to that is yes, people make mistakes. The question is, how do you respond to yourself when you make mistakes? And how do you respond to other people when they make mistakes? So one of the most uh, one of the most valuable things that I've learned in all of this stuff is I'll go back to whatever meeting it was. I think it was a sales meeting and you had pointed to a, a comment from Pat Lencioni or something like that, or maybe it, maybe it was the wrong person. Either way, sweaty armpit, right? Oh yeah, it's Raising Raise the arm, yeah. pointing the armpit. Yep, mm-hmm. that's my sweaty armpit, which the story behind that is, yeah, I messed up. I messed up, sorry about that. Here's what's gonna happen from here. Um, just recently was listening to a podcast and heard this statement. The, the thing I'm trying to get at is trust. I'm, I'm skipping all over the place. There's a tr- to trust people and to earn people's trust is one of the most valuable things. The thing that I heard in the podcast was the way to establish trust with people as a leader is to admit when you're wrong, which is significant. It's a, it's a hard thing to do to admit when you're wrong. But just like with anything else, if you practice it, which if we make mistakes and then we practice admitting that we made mistakes and things and failures, then you get better at it. And if trust is required, then you have to admit when you're wrong. So biggest things I've learned, uh, when you make mistakes, own them. And then when other people make mistakes, love them through it the way that you want to be loved through it, right? Um, We judge others according to their actions and hope they judge us according to our intentions, right? The reality is the guy cuts you off as you're driving down the road and he's a jerk you cut somebody else off, it's because you're, you need to get to work and you're running late, right? Actions versus intentions. So the biggest thing I've learned is uh, there are several things, but that trust dynamic and admitting when you're wrong on things and then finding a path, not, not just looking to somebody to give you an answer to how to fix that mistake, but offering. So here's what happened. This is the mistake. And here's how I think we can fix it is, is significant. Don't, you don't want to be the person who just says the thing and then walks away. Well, yeah, I made a mistake. See you later. You want to be part of the solution as well. Mm-hmm. So um, that and just and hard work, man, like that's what it comes down to. It comes down to putting in the hours and doing the thing and being who you say you're going to be in those moments. And that sometimes means making a mistake and admitting it. Sometimes it means I'm going to give you this thing on this date by this time with this result and then being those things. Um, and also uh, being loyal to people, being loyal to a company that has poured into you individually as, as an individual employee, as an individual human, being loyal to those things is significant. Loyalty goes a long way because when you know that you can count on that person, that's significant and that, that has value. When you know that you can pick up the phone and the person on the other end is going to answer, that has value. And it's the same thing in the business world too. Um, so work hard, be loyal, and admit when you're wrong because you're going to make mistakes. Man, if you're driving your car, you got to rewind it or whatever you do the podcast to get it back. <laughs> I know it's not blockbuster or cassette tape. You got to you gotta go back. There's some gold nuggets in this. And, and also the takeaways and action items, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recap some of what Kyle just said because this is good stuff man like real practical 
principles from somebody that's living it out. Like, this is so good. So I'm so glad that we did this. Uh, there are layers and layers to this because I view you as a friend and a colleague. And I'm so glad um, to see how things have turned out. And anything good you got from me, man, grace of God, for sure. Uh, but anyways, close us out. Uh, give us some encouragement. Give us some encouragement for people listening in that are feeling like they don't have what it takes. You know, yep. what should they hear? Yep. Um, at a very basic level, uh, surround yourself with good people, right? Um, sometimes those things are accidental. Sometimes you end up working with people and you're like, oh, that, they're a great person. That's how I didn't know you before we started working here. Um, and we've become great friends in that. Um, but then also the, the things that people communicate to you about yourself um, and the things you communicate to yourself, you'll believe at some point, right? Um, so for me, I've been blessed to have great people in my life. Um, somebody in my life right now that's significant and important to me is my fiance, Amber. Uh, her and I were talking about this conversation. She goes, are you nervous? I said, yeah, I'm nervous because, because I don't want to be terrible at this. I want to do, I want to do good at it. Um, and I want to communicate effectively what I'm trying to communicate. Um, and her response to it was, you'll do great because you are great. Um, people, if the, if those aren't the words that people are communicating to you in your life, find people who will communicate those things because you can tell yourself whatever you want. And sometimes you need other people to tell you good things and believe in you. Um, so that's one side of it. The other side of it is success doesn't look the same for everybody. There are different paths to those things. Um, I'll say it again. I said it earlier. I don't have a college degree and I worked my way up to an executive level position. That is not, I'm not saying that so that everybody goes, wow, you're so wonderful. I'm saying that to the people that are out there that think, I can't do that thing because I don't meet these certain things. Well, then go create a path for it. Go create a path to that thing. If you don't have the college degree, who cares? Uh, go be loyal and work hard and and show up and, and be what you need to be in those things. Success looks different for different people. But if you're wondering if you have what it takes, prove to yourself that you have what it takes. You don't need a certificate to be successful in life. You just need hard work and commitment and, and a plan and people to run alongside of you and tell you that you have what it takes. So that that's what I would say to everybody. If, if you want it, go get it. Man, I'm about to do some burpees or something. Dude. Yes, it's good. <laughs> this is so good. Well, that's a great place to, uh, to end this thing. Thank you so much, Kyle, for, for being here, for being who you are and for taking a risk and, uh, Telling your story because yeah. uh, you've got a ton to offer. And this isn't even the end. Yeah. This is just what we've got so far. Yeah. So thanks a lot, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good. All right, takeaways and action items. Heck yeah, so much here. Takeaways, three of them. There's not two cups, one for life and one for work. There's one cup. Number two, you don't need higher education to be an executive. You also don't get excuses, though. Number three, there are companies and executives out there who love their employees just like Kyle. Action items. Three more for you. If you're a manager, learn your people's strengths, know their weaknesses, and use both for their benefit. 
second action item. Your personality, disposition, natural bend, however you want to put it, is a gift. Find your superpower and go get it. Last action item for you. Help your people be promotable. Pour into them. Now don't forget to scroll down to see links in the show notes. I put several things there, including a link to 50 plus Impact Leadership blogs and Kyle's LinkedIn page. You wanna connect with this guy, you wanna figure him out, connect with them, shoot him a message. There's free ideas and connections to keep you going. Now, if you thought of someone during this episode, please send it to them with a note of encouragement. Or if you need something to post on social media, don't forget to tag the impact of leadership. We'd love to engage with you that way. We have over 100 episodes that will aid in your growth as a leader. Follow or subscribe on whatever platform you're using. You have access to all of them. As a reminder, don't forget to check the show notes. And if you're first time listening, scroll on your phone, scroll on your computer, whatever you're streaming this through, there's links at the very bottom. I can't wait to be with you all again soon. But until then, from all of us here at the Impact of Leadership, thanks for listening.